Well, it is good to be here with you this morning. Uh, if you're new or you don't know who I am, my name is Pastor Matt, and I'm associate pastor here. Um, and so I work uh, with discipleship and particularly with our, our students. And so uh, I'm glad for the opportunity to preach here this morning. Uh, if you, we're going to be talking about uh, the book of First Thessalonians. We're in the middle of a series right now called Faith in the Gospel. And so if you uh, have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to First Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. Uh, if you have a blue Bible from the back table or you want to grab one, uh, we're going to be on page 986 today. Um, so 1 Thessalonians is a letter that Paul wrote. Paul with uh, two of his companions, uh, Silvanus and Timothy, Paul the Apostle. Uh, he and, and Silvanus and Timothy went and proclaimed the gospel in a city called Thessalonica. And uh, going there, they, they shared the gospel of Christ, and the people there received it really well. A church was planted uh, due to some circumstances we'll actually hit on later on. Uh, they had to leave. Paul and them had to leave. And so Paul is kind of writing a follow-up letter after he sent Timothy back to this church to, t- to see how they were doing. So this is a letter where Paul is giving further apostolic instruction and encouragement uh, and we're going to find ourselves reading today uh, a, sh- a small section, 1 Thessalonians 2, 8 through 12. So I'm going to go ahead and read that full section, uh, and then we'll start off in verse 8 today. He says, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our very own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, how we worked day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we were proclaiming to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you, and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We're going to start this morning talking about the gospel of God, talking about sharing ourselves, which is the, the themes of verse 8. We talked about this, this passage last week, uh, and Tim asked me to kind of continue on this, because it's such a strong theme in the letter, and it's so important for our overall theme in the book And the first thing as I was reading this passage, I really wanted us to hone in on is this phrase, the gospel of God. This is what Paul and and Silvanus and Timothy preached. It's what they shared. He calls it the gospel of God. And throughout this letter, he has different phrases. He calls it the gospel of Christ. He calls it the word. He calls it the word of Christ. But here and in multiple places, he calls it the gospel of God. You see this in verse 2. Of the same chapter. He says, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. In Paul's magnum opus, his most famous letter, the letter to the Romans, Paul also opens up that letter talking about the gospel of God. And it seems like a phrase that's like so basic that it doesn't need a lot of explanation. Um, I'm very thankful to uh, an old. long dead pastor now named Martin Lloyd Jones who has this legendary sermon series on the book of Romans. He took 14 years to preach through, on Friday nights to preach through the book of Romans and it is amazing. But I'm I'm thankful to some of the insights he has on this phrase. 
on the importance of this way of describing it as the gospel of God. What does Paul mean by this? Well, first of all, the gospel or good news is good news from God. Paul is very, it's very important to him that the people he's speaking to realize that this gospel, this message of Jesus Christ crucified and raised from the dead for our salvation is not made up by Paul. Peter, the apostle who writes in his letters, says the same things. They are very clear on this. Peter says in 2 Peter 1.16, we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Peter wants his audience to know, he wants us to know, that the gospel is not just like a good story. It's not even like a really meaningful myth that has like, you know, like Aesop's fables, where it's like, oh, it's a good story and it has a good meaning behind it and the truthfulness and the historicity of it, that's not really that important as long as you get the, the truth behind it. He says, no, that's not what it is. We saw the glory of Christ. We saw him resurrected. I was there, you know, when Thomas stuck his finger in Jesus's wound where he was pierced with a spear that went into his heart. Like we saw him. We had breakfast with him on the beach after he was crucified and rose from the dead. Paul likewise wants us to know that this isn't a myth, even a well-meaning one from religious-minded but confused men. That's why he says in in this same chapter, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. He says, that's that's not what we're trying to do here. He says, but instead, this is the gospel from God. And that's why they have to come with boldness. God is the source of this message. It does not find its origin in any man or woman. So it's not man's gospel. It's not a myth created. Uh, It's God's message. And because of that, it carries weight. Because of who it comes from. Paul sees himself and he describes himself in terms of being an ambassador. He, he, He has a message from the king. And his job is not to alter it or to make it better or to change it in any way. But to deliver it faithfully to the people to whom the king has given him to give. So that's why he says, this is God's gospel. It has authority. It, because, it's, because of who it comes from, it must be taught. It must be heard. And it is powerful. So that's the first thing. It's the gospel of God means it's the gospel from God. But the second thing is it's the gospel about God. It's not only his message. It's a message about him. See, Paul is not just going, saying, a, just telling a nice story for, 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 for no reason. He's giving a message of salvation to people who desperately need it. When Paul went to Thessalonica, he, he talks about what they were ahead of time. They were a people who, just like everyone else in the Roman world at that time, just had a series of gods or idols that they were worshiping. Probably literally like figurines that they would put inside their house. Maybe they'd have a shrine or an altar. Maybe they were made of wood. Maybe if they were really wealthy. Maybe they would have gold you know, overlaid over them and so forth. But these gods, these idols, which students, we talked about the second commandment last night. We talked about idols. Um, they had that going on. And so all of their hopes for life, all of their problems, that's what they would bring it before. All their fear, all their anxiety, their feelings of, of the guilt and shame because we all, we all know that we are not who we should be. All of that they would have to lay down before this 
block of wood that cannot answer prayers. Paul is going with a message that the the idols that they were worshiping don't exist and can't help. But there is a true and living God who hears prayers from heaven. A God who has who, who answers our deepest needs in life, our, our greatest need, which is the fact that we are sinners, that we have broken God's law, that we are separated from him, and there's no way for us to bridge that gap, to get on good terms with God. He says there's, that idol can't help you. Your good works can't help you. But God in his grace and his mercy has sent his son down to earth to live the perfect life that we fail to live. To die on the cross and so pay the the penalty, pay pay the sentence that our sins deserve. And then raise from the grave so that we can have new life. Jesus is the only one who can make us right with God. Who can give us new life. Who can give us forgiveness. Who can connect us with our creator so we have a loving relationship again. Only God can do that. So it is God's gospel. And so he, he preached this to the Thessalonians and he says, he praises them in that first chapter saying that they turned from idols to the true and living God. Guys, the gospel of God is good news from God, but also it's all about him. The gospel's not, hey, here's a few good tips that'll help you live your best life. Here's how you can save yourself. Here's some religious rituals that'll make you feel good and connected in a general spiritual way. That's not the gospel. It is a a message of a king who saves, who rescues. So it is ultimately about God, not just from him. So that is why Paul talks multiple times about the gospel of God, because it's all about him. Paul even says, hey, we, we don't preach ourselves, we preach Christ crucified. And yet, there's this other interesting thing. You go back and you look at 1 Thessalonians Chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says this. He says, we know brothers, starting in verse 4, we know brothers loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but in power and the Holy Spirit. Well, hold on a second here. We just got done saying that this is God's gospel. It's not Paul's. It's not Peter's. So where does Paul get off saying our gospel? Well, we know it's not because Paul made it up, as we said before. It's because this is the message that they proclaim. He's, remember, he sees himself as an ambassador. He says, this is not something I made up. This is not, I, I, I'm not doing this for my own personal gain. I've been approved by God to, to, come, to give this message to you. So as long as I have it, right, I'm, this is mine. I own it, right? I live for this gospel. I live by it. Paul himself was saved by this very message. Paul, who in a prior life was a Pharisee, a religious leader who was very strict in how he tried to obey each and every law. He kept himself from everything sinful that he possibly could. He tried to keep himself unstained from the world. He tried to be the most religious, knowledgeable, set-apart person among all of his peers, and he still failed. It was the gospel of God that saved him. So he said, there's a sense of ownership in this, right? He lives for it. He lives by it. Notice this. 2 Corinthians 4, 5, he says, For we proclaim not ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Again, in Colossians 1, 27, Him we proclaim. Not, not ourselves, Him. He constantly puts God, He puts the gospel of Christ front and center. 
But I love this, that he can say, this is God's gospel, it's not mine. At the same time, I have been saved by it. And this is what I live for. I own it, this, and so I'm giving it away. So when we consider this idea of the gospel of God, consider we, I think we have to hold both things in place if we as a church and as we as individuals are going to share it faithfully. We have to first of all consider that it is the gospel of God. It is a trustworthy source. It has power and authority to change lives that everyone we encounter. Its content is worthy and trustworthy. And, and because it is God's, we, we're not at liberty to change it or update it or alter it in any way. We have to faithfully give it. It is God's gospel. But we should also consider it our gospel. Meaning we own it. Just as God is your God. You can say, Jesus is my Savior. Let me tell you about him. God is my God. He is my Father. And I am his adopted child. We can have that sense of ownership that now it's our message, so to speak. His mission is our message. His mission, sorry, is our mission. His message is our message. His priorities are our priorities. That's what we mean by that. And as Pastor Tim said last week, we have to believe, experience, and live according to the gospel if we're to speak it well. Guys, because that's what we have to say to the world. That's our answer. So Paul, I love that idea of the gospel of God and what, it, what Paul means when he says that. So he starts off and and talks about how being affectionately desirous of these Thessalonians, they were ready to share not only the gospel of God, but he went even further and he said, but also our very own selves. We talked last week about this, about how speaking and sharing just really naturally go together. It's fitting, you know, Jesus as, as our, as our teacher, as our savior, he came not only teaching, but sharing his life with his disciples. It's fitting that we would follow his example and do likewise. And after all, the gospel is a relational message. It's a message that says, hey, it is a gospel that connects us to God, that makes a path for us to be in relationship with God. So it's fitting that we would take time to build relationships with people who we preach to, who we we communicate with. That as we share this good message of Christ crucified and raised from the dead for forgiveness of sins that we would also share ourselves with people. Now, of, of course, that does not mean that, you know, if you don't have time to make a relationship, we have no responsibility <laughs> to share the gospel. I mean, there are opportunities you're going to have where you're at a, at a theme park and you're standing in one of those 45-minute lines that you're standing next to somebody that you're never going to see again. Or you're on a plane ride where you're going, you're, you're flying somewhere, sitting next to someone. In your lifetime, it's very likely you will never see them again, right? Now, you should not say, well... I'm not going to have time to build a relationship with them so I don't have to share the gospel. Like, no, far be it. If God gives you an opportunity, by all means, take it. There's a, a writer and a, a radio host named Greg Kokel, and he talks about just putting a rock in somebody's shoe. Not literally, like, putting a rock, that's mean. But, I mean, the idea is, like, you, you like having a, a pointed conversation, which may not be this long, drawn-out ability to preach the entire gospel, but just having a, a conversation that leads to spiritual things, that makes people think about the life they're living or the way they're walking. That maybe God will use that to direct them to somebody where they can consider the gospel. Still, we, we, we have those opportunities. We shouldn't leave them behind. But I think it is fitting that we be a people that share not only the gospel but ourselves. That we build relationships with those around us as we're seeking to share the gospel of Christ, the gospel of God. And it takes investment. It requires love. It requires courage. There's a giving of yourself. 
honestly, like, do you ever notice, like, when you share something meaningful to you, you're kind of putting yourself out there, right? Some of you, you know, if you're very cautious about sharing your opinion, maybe even at life group, right, or in a setting, because when you put your opinion out there, like, you're opening yourself up to criticism. People may agree or not agree, and, you know. In the same way, like, if the gospel is, like what Paul said, it's our gospel, like, I want to tell you about my Savior, my King, my God. Like, it's, when you put yourself out there, it's very personal because people may reject it, and it's hard not to feel like they're rejecting you because it's so meaningful and personal to you. So it's always a giving of yourself in some sense, and Paul knew that. Every city, every town where Paul went and shared the gospel, where he planted churches or, or tended after churches, he was always giving himself away, always sharing his life. Yet when I read this passage, and it seems like Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy are saying that when they, when they say that they were ready to share not only the gospel of God, but also their own selves, I think there's indication that there's something deeper going on here. It seems to me that, that Paul and, and Silvanus and Timothy had a special, deeper relationship with the Thessalonians. That the way that they responded to the Paul's preaching and, and their faithfulness just drew him out. And they had a close connection. Notice how in, in chapter 1 of Thessalonians, Paul just begins just praising God. He says, I, I keep you in my prayers all the time. Why? Because when Paul and his companions came and preached the gospel, they preached it in the midst of a lot of affliction. Like Thessalonica was not like a nice, it wasn't a nice, calm, easy time. There was affliction, there was persecution, it was, there was hardship in the actual preaching. And the Thessalonians, they had a radical transformation. Some of you have had that, right? Some of you came to Christ at a very young age, or it was a very almost like a gradual, it feels like a gradual thing. There was a moment when you went from death to life, but it's hard to know when that was because it felt like a gradual growth in belief. For some of you, you heard the gospel and like you changed direction. It felt like an about face and it seemed like a radical change in your life. That's probably what it was kind of like for some of these Thessalonians. They went from worshiping idols to worshiping the true and living God. And their faith was something that, to marvel at. Because it wasn't tepid. It wasn't like, okay, we'll see how this goes. Like, in the midst of affliction, they, they were eager and they, and they embraced it and they embraced Paul. And their faith was something that it actually, word of it went out to the surrounding areas. Like, Paul was like, man, have you guys heard about those Thessalonians? And he was encouraging saints and churches in the surrounding area. Paul mentions later on in chapter 2, where we're in right now, and later on in chapter 3, that eventually, uh, after Paul and his companions were there for a while, some things occurred, some circumstances that, that forced them to kind of leave for a while. And Paul was like, man, I wonder what's going to happen to them. Because affliction was still there persecution was still there and you know what sometimes paul left churches and it didn't go well the corinthians are a good example of that how about the galatians that's a hard letter paul wrote he preached the gospel they eagerly embraced it and then very shortly thereafter some people called judaizers came in and started adding to the gospel of god which remember we can't do and the galatians actually started believing it and he wrote a hard letter saying who bewitched you it was hard for him, right? Because he loved them. He preached the gospel, they believed, but now they're going astray. And you could sense Paul was like, what's going to happen to them? 
So Paul sends Timothy back to the church in Thessalonica to see how they were doing. And Timothy came back and he was like, Paul, they're doing great. Their faith is continuing in the midst of much affliction. The Thessalonians were still strong. So there's no doubt that Paul, he's writing this letter just filled with joy. And he's thanking God, man, this church did not fall. This church is strong. Their faith is noteworthy. So he had a deep affection for this church early on. And it's still continuing. These people who had embraced him and his gospel, they became very dear to Timothy. And so I think that's part of what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? We love every church that we go to, that we preach to. We give ourselves always, always seeking to build relationships. But there's something about these people that they feel like they have maybe a deeper connection with, or that maybe, maybe the Thessalonians were more willing to, to listen and learn from and receive. You know, I think there's some insights for ministry as well just for us, in our our own lives, we have different levels of impact. In your own life, consider that we have a responsibility to share the gospel, and it's not limited to people who we personally connect well with, right? We should be ready to love, have wisdom and humility, and proclaim the gospel of God to everyone. However, there are people that you have a closer connection with, by God's grace, with whom your influence is greater, Right. Even for, for as an example, in youth ministry, right? When I, when I speak to students, you know, I'm thankful that I get to build relationships. I'm thankful that I get that I get on Saturday nights to to preach and to teach, and, and students hear me. However, I mean, I recognize there are certain students that are kind of more eager to learn from me, right? Or or by God's grace, I just have a little more influence on than others, and, and I see that as an opportunity. Right? Not that I you know, love them more than the rest of the students, but I'm maybe more willing to share a bit more of my time, my energy, my prayer, because I have a level of influence there. I think we all have that in some way. Consider in your own life, who are the people with whom your influence tends to be greater? It's natural that the people, that, that those are the people that you tend to give more of yourself to, more of your energy, more of your time, more of your prayer maybe, more of your, your, your energy. It makes sense to give your, yourself most to the ones with whom you have the most impact. And that's true for evangelism. I think it's also true of discipleship. Consider the people in your life with whom you have the most affection, connection, influence, those who listen to you. If God has given you an opportunity, make the most of it. Invest not just widely, but deeply. Share not only the gospel of God, but share yourselves with such people, not to the neglect of others, hear me, But just consider that, because you know what? Life is short. You have a limited amount of time. You have a limited amount of resources. So recognize that um, you have an opportunity, like Paul did, like Sylvanus and Timothy, have a wide influence, but also a deep influence for the gospel of Christ. Paul continues on talking here about how how their work was. They had hard work, and they had holy conduct among them. Let me read from verse 9 and 10. He says, remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. I don't want to spend a lot of time on these verses, but I do want to point out a couple things. Uh, Paul and his and associates, they, they labored in teaching the gospel to Thessalonians. Make no mistake in that. When they were teaching the gospel of God, 
they worked hard. Several times he speaks of the gospel ministry as labor and toil. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, he says, him we, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may, may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy that he powerfully works within me. Gospel ministry is hard. It just is, right? It, for those of you who teach Sunday school, for those of you who, who lead life groups, for those of you who preach or who, who lead ministries, like it is emotionally draining, spiritually draining, physically draining. I can tell you, after I get done preaching, I'm exhausted. Tim, he's energized. I need a nap. That's <laughs> just how I am, right? I can tell you that, that, it, that the laboring in gospel ministry, it does take a toll on you. It's joyful, it's a privilege, but it's also labor. It requires study, it requires preparation, it requires prayer and energy. Paul talks about how he had sleepless nights and anxiety for all the churches. It's not just like, oh, I go and I punch a clock, I give a one hour, or hopefully not one hour, a 40 minute, you know, message, you know, I work one day a week and then I leave. Like, no, there's constant prayer and anxiety and, 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 and thought and concern for the churches, shepherding. But if, along with that gospel labor, Paul's pointing out something else they were doing. He says, you know, that whole time that we were ministering, teaching, praying, uh, counseling, preaching, he says, along with that, we were also working a separate job. <laughs> he talks about how they, they said, you know, when we came among you, we didn't just want to labor in the gospel. We didn't want to take any money from you. We didn't want to have to, to be a burden to you financially because we just wanted you to focus on what we were teaching you, the gospel of God. So they took side jobs while they were in Thessalonia. Paul famously was a tent maker. He was bivocational. There's a couple of reasons for this. He didn't want to burden those, uh, burden them financially or otherwise. He didn't want to lay an obstacle to the gospel message. He didn't want to come and say, hey guys, let me tell you a message that will change your life. Please write a nice check. How many people have avoided the gospel or have not got connected because they had suspicion about the people who are preaching it? It's like, oh, you're just doing that for money. Sadly, there are false teachers who preach the gospel or something like it that sounds like it, not out of a genuine heart of concern, but for money. They were doing it in Paul's day, and there are some who do it in our day as well. Paul says, I don't want that to even be a thought. I'm going to provide for my own funds. I just want you to hear the gospel of God. He also wanted to demonstrate holiness and righteousness. So Paul, even in this, they're saying, we're setting an example for you. We want to live our lives openly before you. That must have been tiring. I've been bivocational before. In my previous church, I worked part-time as a youth pastor. Um, and for, for a small number of students, I graduated seminary, and then I was like, I, 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 can't, make, I can't provide for my family with part-time jobs, so I also took a job as a custodian. Right? So I was doing youth ministry and custodial work uh, for a couple of years, actually. And that, praise God, there were, some, there were some good things from that. There were some challenging things. Um, but for a time... I, I worked that way. And me and Ed were just talking about that with this past week or two, right? Yeah, Ed's our, our church planning resident, and uh, he's bivocational right now. All the stuff that he's doing here with us, he's also working a full-time job, help provide for his family. Man, there's some blessings in it, right? You know what I miss? I worked at Blockbuster Video when I was in seminary. I still have the shirt. I'll wear it some night, someday. 
I worked, uh, I worked at Custodian, but that was actually at a church, so that was a little different. But I worked at Bob Evans when I was in college. Like, you just have conversations when every single day, like, you're around people that aren't, you have natural relationships. I went into Bob Evans, Evans one day, and, like, I was clocking in, and there was a, a couple girls trying to convince another girl there, like, to get an abortion, to abort her child. And several of the people that I worked with, you know, uh, had a lot of other questions and struggles and so forth. And I'm like, man, like, I came here to, like, wait tables and make money, but I have an opportunity proclaim the gospel of God to share my life with people in a natural way where it just comes up. The same thing happened in Blockbuster video. I had some really good theological discussions working at Blockbuster. But I remember when I was there, I was like, oh man, I can't wait. You know, here I am. I can translate the New Testament from Greek and I'm cleaning toilets. And I remember like being frustrated with that, right? Like I wish I could just like be done with this and like give myself fully to ministry, right? I'm glad that I came here and I can do that. But, you know, and there are benefits. I can give myself more fully, right, to ministry. I can be there when the congregation needs me. I I have more time and access and availability. I have more time to prepare for preaching and other ministry things. But you know what? I also kind of miss not having those natural relationships. Like, I'm actually kind of envious of you. For those of you who work, who go to school, who every single day you rub elbows with people who do not know God. And you have opportunity every single day. You have the ability to have deep influence in their lives. Paul worked sometimes as an apostle. Sometimes he did receive, you know, from the church. He was supported by them. Other times he did not. He was willing to do anything he could to proclaim the gospel of God and not lay an obstacle and be an example. However you're doing ministry right now, right? However you're doing it, man, just make the most of the opportunity that you have. Praise God for where you could always say, man, I wish the situation was different. I wish my work or my school situation was different. Man, God has you where you're at for a reason. Make the most of it. Invest deeply. Share your life and proclaim the gospel of God. He moves on to verse 11 and 12. The last two verses we'll look at today. Paul says, for, for you know how like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We talked about, um, last week we described how Paul speaks of his ministry to the Thessalonians as marked by gentleness and care. And, And if you look back at those verses, you'll see how he says in verse 7, we were gentle among you. And he uses an example, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And now he uses another, another illustration uh, to describe their ministry, that of a father encouraging and charging his own children. Now, this text isn't primarily about parenting, right? But uh, Paul does make an observation about parenting that would actually have been common sense and would have been, would have been accepted, right? So analogies only make sense if what you're using as an illustration you agree upon, you at least understand. So people already understand that there's something unique here. The Thessalonians would have known, and we do too, right? There's something special about the way of a mother gently nursing her own children, right? You know, and and at this time, right, they didn't have formula. They didn't have, you know, fathers who were, you know, holding a bottle. That wasn't happening, because I'm pretty sure, when this letter was written. 
But even now, you know, fathers, we, you know, can do that as well. But it is different in the way a mother is for the child. Like, we can just, that's observable. There's a watchfulness, a self-sacrifice, a care, a warmth, a a God-given connection that a mother has with her children. It demonstrates the caring heart of God. That's by God's design and his grace. And now Paul just uses, how, he says, our ministry was like that with you. He's using that analogy. And now he's just using another analogy. There's something special, too, about the words of a father to his own children. To encourage, to speak into their life, to challenge them. You know, my, my own kids, I, I have four kids, uh, 10, 8, 5, and 3. Uh, and they have many teachers. They have teachers in Sunday school right now. Uh, They have babysitters. They have adults in their life in general who speak into their life. But when I speak to them, it's just different. It's important for my son to hear uh, that his coach is proud of him when he's playing baseball and he gets a hit and takes a base. It's important for, for him to hear his teammates cheer him on. It's important for him to hear, for his coaches to say, oh, good job, Jack, right? It's more important to him that his dad's proud of him, though, right? It just lands differently. It's important. There's weight and authority to a father's words. And, and I'll give you a personal example. Uh, I'm 37. I've been preaching publicly or teaching for uh, nearly 20 years, uh, coming out of high school is when I started, and uh, you know, after a sermon, you know, I, I want to hear feedback, right? I, I want to, hey, I asked my wife, Lachelle, what'd you, what'd, you, what'd you think? And she's in nursery today, so I'm not going to hear that today. Um, I want to hear what Pastor Tim thinks, and he'll faithfully have a nice list of things that we'll go through. <laughs> there we go. The good and the bad. You know, I love, uh, I love when Craig comes up after a sermon and, and kind of shares something that stood out to him. You know, pastors, not, not because I want my ego you know, boosted on, we try to avoid that. Just, it, it is good to hear feedback. Oh, praise God, how do you work in your life? And I care about it. That all means so much to me. But you know what means probably more than anything to me? Is this week I'm going to get a text from my dad. My mom and my dad live in Missouri, and they're going to be watching online. And, you know, I, I've been doing this for a while now. I haven't lived with my parents since 2006. But you know what? I still want to hear my dad say, I'm proud of you, son. Well done. It just lands differently. And some of you know that because you didn't have that. Some of you might be wounded because you had a father who was not there, or if he was there, was not encouraging, was not involved with your life, did not direct you. And so, the, so you might know this because there's the lack thereof is still a wound. There's something unique about the motherly care and gentleness she has with her children, and there is something special and unique about the way a father speaks to his children. Well done, son or daughter. I'm proud of you. Whether he's giving encouragement or direction, it just lands differently. It's important, I think, by God's design. There's something special, observably so, and Paul draws upon this. He came to Thessalonica as a spiritual father. He's writing to them as a spiritual father. See, he took responsibility for them. He taught them. He didn't, he didn't come as a traveling sage or as a public intellectual or as a religious leader, but as a father. And we see the same heart in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Guys, listen, listen to this passage. Um, it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I believe it is, verse 14 through 16. 
He says, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, because he did have to call them out on things, as dads sometimes do. I don't write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. When Paul came to Thessalonica, he preached the gospel, and they were born again. They became children of God. But by virtue of Paul's relationship to them, of being the one who brought the gospel, he kind of spiritually fathered them. He brought them to spiritual new life. And so he takes responsibility for them. He's not like, you're just one of my converts that I add to my list. He says, no, I treat you like a son now, as a daughter. I have responsibility for you. The way a father has responsibility to his children. To encourage, to exhort, to challenge, to train. He became a spiritual father. Many of you remember that person in your life. Maybe if you came to Christ as a young person, that was your mom or your dad who kind of spiritually brought you into the faith. Maybe it was a pastor, a youth pastor, uh, a friend. But that person you could probably think of, either they brought you to Christ or they were very formative. Like when you came to Christ early on, this person poured into you and you will remember them for the rest of your life. That may be like your spiritual mother or your spiritual father. Some of them may be in this church. So Paul draws on that. As an older man who preached the gospel to them, he led them to the Lord, he taught them like a father. I think this is part of what Paul talks about when he said when he says, I didn't just want to preach the gospel of God to you, I wanted to share my life with you. Not just in like a sing songy emotional way, but because you're my children. And I'm like a father to you. And because of that, his ministry was marked by encouragement and exhortation. Because hopefully, good, godly fathers do that well. We don't always. Exhortation has to do with commands and teaching. Entails making aware of calling and duties. That's part of what, what fatherly ministry is, is telling people like this, these are your duties, these are your responsibilities, this is what God calls you to. This is what God expects of you as a disciple. These are the things you must do and these are the things you must avoid. These are your responsibilities. Exhortation is calling people to live according to that. And encouragement has to do with giving people confidence that they can do it or that they're doing it well, right? And you need both. We can't just survive with people constantly telling us, do this, 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 and this. Fathers, we're not doing well. I'm not doing well when we live like that. Or when we're constantly pointing out bad things. Here's all the things you're doing wrong. It's right, you know, we can do that, but... That's not spiritual fathering. I think it oftentimes needs to be a lot more encouraging. That's what Paul says. It's giving people confidence. Yes, you're doing it right. I'm proud of you. You're doing a good job. But you know what? You can do it. By God's grace, you can do this. With the help of people around you. Affirming and celebrating people with people after they've done well. All of his ministry was done with the heart of a father. We're going to sum up his exhortation because this is what he says. He says, we came to you like, fa like a father with his children, exhorting each one of you, encouraging you, and charged you. And this is the sum. He says, here's what he exhorted them to do, to walk in a manner worthy of God. 
who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He calls them to walk worthy, right? So there's this idea in, in Scripture, it's used a lot. You know, walk doesn't mean literally just like physically, functionally walking as a mode of transportation, but living your life. Uh, I believe it's, it's a figure of speech. Those of you who love grammar, maybe it's called a metonymy. You know, where you're, but um, yeah, it's, it's a figure of speech. It has to do with how we live our everyday lives. And he says, walk worthy. He's saying, as you're going about your daily life, live in such a way that God is honored. Honor God. Walk worthy of God. Not walk to earn God's favor. Walk as God's people. So honor him for his own sake. Walk in such a way because you want to make God proud. Because you want to delight in God. Because you want him to be delighted by your life. And for the sake of those who are watching. Walk worthy of God because he's saying, Thessalonians, you are claiming Christ. It's in the name. Christian you call yourself christian you are taking on the name of christ and so the whole world is watching they will learn something about christ and something about god by looking at his followers it's the simple reality we bear something of god's reputation in the world which is an incredible weight when you think about it and of course we're going to fail right this is the christianity is not a works religion it's a grace religion And yet, Paul, like a good father, says, you belong to God. Act like it. No, don't even act. Live like it. You are representing the God of all creation. And Paul says, guys, I did that when I came to you. I wanted to demonstrate the fact that I was working a side job so you wouldn't be burdened because I wanted you to believe this message. We try to live righteously and holy. I'm not just telling you to do this stuff i've led an example for you do likewise walk worthy of the god who calls you into his kingdom walking worthy of his kingdom means we should live in accordance with god's kingdom we we, we belong to this earth we live in the united states of america we are under governmental authority but we're citizens of god's kingdom that's who we listen to that's who we obey his values, his rules, his priorities, that's what we live according to. And if there's ever a situation where the values and laws and commands of God's kingdom run up against the values and priorities of this world, God's kingdom must win out in our hearts and in our lives. He says, if you're in Christ, he's your king. He Live under his rule here and now. No matter what the world says is right or wrong, acceptable, valuable, beautiful, wise, or worthwhile, we listen to our king first and foremost. But he also calls us to our own, his own glory, which we will experience when Christ returns. So we should live with faith and anticipation. We're, we're not seeking the glory or favor of this current world, but the glory that God will reveal to us, right? That's why Paul says, I'm not trying to please man, Paul says, I'm not preaching the gospel because I want to become popular or famous or be liked by people. I want to please God. I want to walk worthy of God. And he even, Paul, is so excited about the Thessalonians because that's what they did. He says in chapter 1, verse 10, uh, or 9 and 10, that they turned to God from idols to serve the living God and to wait for his son from heaven. They were eager to receive the glory of God, even willing to endure affliction in this current life because they were looking for the life to come. And so in a word, if we're walk, what it means to walk in a manner worthy of God is to be walking like his son Jesus. To walk according to God's will. 
to do the things that are pleasing to God, to live according to his values, to live as kingdom subjects of his kingdom, to live for the glory and the life to come. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy sought, they came to Thessalonica and they sought to be a living example of sacrifice, love, righteousness, and holiness. They were gentle and compassionate like a mother and the speaking and with encouraging exhortations like a father. They shared the gospel of God with the Thessalonians, but also their own lives. The gospel of God shaped their life. It shaped their work. It shaped their relationships. It shaped how they lived and who they gave their life to. So let me just leave you with a question. With the, with the words we read today, with the example of Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, does the gospel of God have the same pull on your life? Is it what you live for? Is it your gospel? The message that fuels your life, your work, your relationships, and your living. I pray that it would. I'm going to invite the worship team up now, and would you pray with me? Father, I thank you. God, I thank you that you have blessed us. Lord, that you have sent your Son to save us. God, I thank you for the gospel of God by which you saved me many years ago and saved many in this room. Lord, I thank you, God, for the the witness of your word today. God, I pray that we would be shaped by this message. Lord, for those who are in this room who, who have heard it but not sure where they're at with you, God, that you would give them faith, that you would open their eyes to receive this, Lord, that they would come and turn from idols to worship the true and living God. I pray for us, Lord, who are in the congregation, who have known you, who belong to you, God, that we would be a people whose lives would be shaped by this gospel, that it would be the gospel of God, but also our gospel, that we would give our lives to and share with others and share our lives with those who desperately need it. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. We give you praise and honor. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.